Hidden Gems, Episode 5. Let's play a train game that isn't Ticket to Ride. Welcome to Hidden Gems, a board game podcast where we review unusual, forgotten, and underappreciated board games. We're your hosts. My name is Chris. I'm Jason. And I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening to our show. Yes, welcome back, folks. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Good to see you. How you guys been doing? What's new, Cameron? Anything new with you? How's oh, life treating you, man? Yeah, is anything new <laughs> for me? Okay, so my wife and I are under contract for a house. We're living in Raleigh. We're moving to Durham, which is quite a feat in the current real estate yeah, market. Challenging so, thing to do these yeah, days. It's, it's crazy real, around real here. Real crazy. So we finally wrapped up due diligence period on our house, which means we're moving. Yeah. So it's just a matter of weeks at this point. We're going to move toward the beginning of April and. Ironically enough, we're going to close on our house, and then two days later, Casey and I are going to Maui Mm. to enjoy a week in Hawaii to celebrate our anniversary and our honeymoon, actually. One year later. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. We were supposed to have this pretty big wedding roughly this time last year, and about this time last year, we were like, oh no, the pandemic's actually looking way more serious than, than we expected. It, it ended up working out just beautifully. We ended up having the most beautiful, sweet wedding in my brother-in-law's yeah. backyard. And there are definitely things that are sad about it. Like, you were going to be one of my groomsmen. I was, you, yeah. You weren't able to dress up and to nope. get in that thing. And But we did a drive-by. Yeah, so. you did a drive-by. It was so <laughs> awesome. You guys just made it the day awesome. So, yeah. So, we're going to we're going to Maui and finally getting our honeymoon in. So, that's been definitely top of mind for, for me is, is the, the, the yeah. move. And then, of course, if anyone cares in our audience, my wife and I are going to have our baby. Yes. Our first Congrats. child here, Lord willing, in August. So there's all sorts of really fun, big life changes. Yeah. And honestly, the podcast has been a super fun thing, kind yeah. of like a release valve for me, as a lot of other things in my life are currently stressful. So I'm happy to be here tonight. And yeah. it's been great to, to play these games the past couple of weeks and finally be getting a chance to talk about them tonight. Yeah. So what's been up with you, Jason? Yeah. So <laughs> nothing near as monumental as moving and honeymoons and all that been through all that already but yeah i feel like lately we've really just been enjoying our kids being back in school Um, (laughs) so we have not had that luxury yet yeah all three of our kids are back attending school instead of doing school from home and it's been refreshing to say the least oh i bet cool i think i mentioned this on one of our instagram posts but i've been working on restoring an old wheelbarrow (laughs) that was my great-grandfather's it's pure cast iron from like the 1930s or 1940s but it was all rusty and i I love the thing it's a tank so i took it apart a couple months ago and have been cleaning up the metal and repainting it and all that stuff so i just finished it today actually yeah it's beautiful and i'm pretty excited about that but uh, yeah so nothing major i will mention i I have been playing some video games lately Mm mm-hmm I don't get the the opportunity to as often as I'd like, but I I made an attempt to play back through Hollow Knight. Yeah, so I played it. Love Hollow. Knight. Now we're talking. I, I played it. <laughs> Enough of these wheelbarrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I'm interested. All right. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I I played through most of it about two years ago or you whenever, whenever that was. Out and, and you I didn't finish it. I did. I I'm notorious for getting like 95 percent of the way through a video game and then just getting bored and Shameful. getting up no no not getting bored <laughs> it, it you is getting stuck bored. you got well stuck. I, I did get stuck they usually coincide i get stuck and then i get bored and then <laughs> i get frustrated 
So <laughs> I'm going back through it, and I'm going to beat it this time. And that's my update. That's yes. awesome. Yeah, get the get to the true ending, man. When you fight the Radiant, it's just so awesome. One one of the best games ever. Love that game. Great game. Awesome. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I've been playing some games recently, too. And one I wanted to share with y'all, because I thought it'd be fun, it's kind of a hidden gem video game, which, you know how I love that kind of stuff, the the lesser-talked-about games. So all my kids play games. As you know, Bryce is now, like, semi-pro, maybe almost pro-Valorant player now. It's crazy. Did I show you that jersey that he got for his Valorant team? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's this Japanese cherry blossom tree with these petals going yeah, across yeah, yeah. it and this really stylized art it looks it's sick. rad yeah huh. it's really cool but actually i've been playing with my youngest son okay. hayes who is eight 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 or nine eight i think <laughs> <laughs> and he really enjoys shooters but it's hard with eight-year-olds with shooters because you got to be smart about it right because he's a small kid you know i don't want hayes constantly listening to f-bomb yeah. playing call of duty or something like that so he plays fortnite he plays overwatch but I found this game, which is really awesome. It's called Earth Defense Force. So there are a lot of these. They've been around for a long time, and they're cult classic video games. Hmm. Huh. So the idea behind the game is it's intentionally cheesy. It's kind of like Starship Troopers, cheesy B-movie type game, mm. but it's on Earth. And what's happening is the, <laughs> the Earth is getting attacked by giant insects. <laughs> they drop you into these maps... <laughs> And there are these huge ants, and I'm talking like hundreds, swarms of giant ants that just come climbing over these buildings, and you've got these crazy weapons. Yeah. And it's an explosion fest. (laughs) Bodies are flying everywhere. The ants are exploding. There's giant spiders. There's these spaceships. And all the while, it's just this really super cheesy (laughs) B-movie dialogue, right? Now, I I don't want to trick anybody here into thinking this is the greatest production ever okay yeah. because graphically it's kind of bad yeah. but again that's what's kind of appealing about it yeah it's just fun to play with all the different weapons because some of them are just ridiculous okay i mean they'll have these huge blast radiuses so you can right. blow yourself up really easily <laughs> and he and i have been playing that together father and son and it's been a ton of fun that's- i highly recommend the game just going into it knowing that this isn't god of war or anything uh-huh. okay but for what it is if you want to take on waves of super huge alien mutant ants, Earth Defense Force. <laughs> Sounds pretty it cool. Out. It's uh, pretty, it's pretty to, awesome, honestly. Uh, I'll have to try it with Gavin. Yeah. I, I tried to get him into Hollow Knight and he gave up pretty quick. <laughs> Too hard. <laughs> which I don't, I don't blame him. Yeah. yeah. So we have a cocktail of the week, mm-hmm. of course. What are we enjoying tonight? Yeah. For this week, we're talking about train games. And this one was pretty easy for me. This is a cocktail that I know very well. I've had it many times. And I like it quite a bit. It's called 20th Century. So 20th Century, if you don't know, is a a luxury train that ran around the turn of the 20th century between New York and Chicago, I believe. And so this drink was created kind of in honor of that train. Cool. It's supposed to be more of a fancy kind of drink. Yeah. It feels fancy. It is. It is. It's a really fine cocktail. It's elegant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. The light color. Yeah, so it's gin, lemon juice, creme de cacao. So mm-hmm. it has just mm-hmm. the subtlest hint of chocolate flavor to it. And then Lillet Blanc, which is basically a white wine. Okay. Shaken and poured. It's a really good cocktail. It's really tasty. Yep. All right. So, of course, we're talking about train games this week. 
What do you want to tell us about train games, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I thought it would be fun to go through a little primer on train games. If you've been in the hobby, you probably know a good bit about train mm-hmm. games. But we're just going to go through some of the major categories mm-hmm. of train games. So I did kind of joke tongue-in-cheek in the title here of let's play a train game that's not Ticket to Ride. That doesn't necessarily mean we don't like Ticket to Ride. I'd be curious, though. How do you guys feel about Ticket to Ride? Do you like the game? I do. It's not a game that I play often. We actually didn't even own it until pretty recently. I picked up a copy of it for cheap. My kids love it. It's a good transition away from some of the lighter stuff that I generally play with them. It's not, you know, we're 18xx players on occasion. On occasion. And so comparing it to something like that, there's obviously not the same depth by any means, right? But for introducing new folks to the hobby, playing with my kids, it's a solid game. Yeah, yeah, that's very much my opinion of Ticket to Ride. I enjoy Ticket to Ride on the occasional. Sometimes it's really nice to just like kind of go back up to the surface from some of the the more complex stuff that we play sometimes to a game like that. But I I also like it as well because it's one of the first titles that you can mention to people Mm -hmm. if you're trying to invite them to come and play games and usually they will have seen it before and if not it's a really easy entry point for a lot of people it's not incredibly long i think those things all make it uh, quite a good game and so it's one of those games that we would regard as like yeah it's well known and it's popular for a good reason for sure yeah i see the value of ticket to ride i do think it's a good game too i think on our one to six scale i'd probably give it a four it doesn't excite me but I think it's a good game. Now, I'm talking about base ticket to ride, and I think that's one important point mm-hmm. to make is that I haven't really played any of the ticket to ride variants or expansions, and I probably should. Mm. I'm sure if we did, I'd probably maybe enjoy it more. But just base ticket to ride, it's good, you know? And, and I think you have to appreciate it for what it's accomplished in the board game hobby for bringing so many people in. For a lot of people sure. outside of Catan, ticket to ride is really their gateway in. Right. So. right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think what we're wanting to get into, especially in this section of this podcast, mm-hmm. is there's a large spectrum of train games yep. that are similar to Ticket to Ride and quite different from yeah. Ticket to Ride. And we want to bring some attention to that, perhaps. For sure. So there is a segment of the board gaming community that is hardcore into mm. train games. There is a group of people, I think... They even refer to themselves as this as Puffing Billy. Have you heard of this before? No. Have you heard ha- this, Jason? I have heard of it. I don't really know much about yeah, it. Yeah, so at a lot of the big conventions, there will be a section in the convention, and a lot of times they'll also often have a badge hmm. on their convention lanyard that says Puffing Billy on it. And basically that means I'm a train game person. So oh, wow. there are designated sections in conventions. Like when we were at Origins a couple years ago, Jason, yep. where... They just do tournaments and play nothing but train games. That's all they do. That's what puffing Billy means. There are a lot of people that take these train games really seriously. There's a really big community for it. So I think you can't talk about train games without talking about Martin Wallace and what he's done for the train game system, specifically talking about Age of Steam, Steam, and Railways of the World, or Railroad Tycoon. So what makes these titles unique, what their central mechanism is, is it's basically pick up and deliver. Mm -hmm. You've got cities that have colored cubes on them, and then there are different colored hexes or different cities that have colors, and a red colored city wants a red cube. Mm -hmm. And you have to figure out how to get that red cube to that city, trying to hit as many links as possible to maximize your points. The most basic of which being Railways of the World, but actually... I didn't know this. I thought the progression was Railways of the World, Steam, and Age of Steam. 
But that is not actually how it was done. Martin really? Wallace designed Age of Steam first. Huh. Okay. Huh. And then went to Railways of the World. And then Steam was actually last. Wow. Maybe it's just talked about that way from in terms of complexity. Right. Like but it's a progression. Uh, because Steam really is just a refinement of Age of Steam. I say that cautiously because there are a lot of people who love Age of Steam as yes. like the ultimate the train game. Yeah. Right. And I love Age of Steam. But yeah. It, it seems like Steam was an attempt to chop off some of the rough edges of Age of Steam. So I've not played Steam even though I have it sitting right over here. But I know you have. I Do have. you prefer I, Steam to Age of Steam? Ooh, that's a tough question. I've played Steam a lot because I downloaded the app right. on my phone. I do like it. I, I hesitate to admit this, but I've only played Age of Steam live with real people once. What? And that's, <laughs> that, that makes me sad saying that. Oh my but, gosh. Um, I'm, I'm failing you as a friend. I feel yeah. like I've only played Age of Steam once and with you. We yeah. had played, the, the name changed to Railways of the World. I had always known it. It was Railway right. Tycoon. I had yeah. played it several times and you right. were like, oh dude, if you like that game, we need to play Age of Steam. Right. So we, we knocked it out. And I remember enjoying it. I also mm. remember feeling tired after I <laughs> played yes. it. Yeah, so I, I loved Age of Steam. In Age of Steam, you can hurt yourself pretty bad if you're, if you're not oh, sure what you're man. doing. Steam takes you, away some you of that risk. You crush yourself in Age of Steam. Yeah, Steam removes some of that risk. Not all of it, but some of it. So I prefer Age of Steam the most of the three. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and these guys know this, I like games that are punishing and brutal and make me feel sad. Because I, I want to do better next time, you know? And Age of Steam just has that in spades, man. You can go bankrupt in Age of Steam. Yeah. With Railroad Tycoon, you can just keep taking loans. Right. right? You'll never in the re- game with an incredible amount oh, of Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, I've seen Jeff Schaefer in the game with like 25 loans before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, that was a that was a like memorable game for yeah. me. He just kept going. <laughs> but Age of Steam, you can't do that. Okay. You have 15 shares. You can issue shares to get money to build your track and bid for Tornor to take the auctions that you have. And if you run out of your 15 shares and you're not profitable you will start to tank. Oh, wow. Some people don't like that, but yeah. I, I enjoy that. And not to mention, I'll say one more thing about Age of Steam and I'll stop. There's like over 100 <laughs> maps. Oh, my. Yeah, okay. like in that black thing over against the wall right. there, I went to Hobby Lobby. Okay. And I bought one of those big... I wondered put, what that... You I put like what big thing prints was. in, yeah. like big paintings. Okay. It's full of Age of Steam maps. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There's just all different <laughs> yeah. variations of the game. I thought you had like a secret watercolor painting hobby. And yeah, you no, try yeah, to hide away Age all your Steam supplies. Maps. Yeah, okay. so Alvin Viard, who's a big heavy game designer, he releases a set of Age of Steam maps every year. And okay. I just get in on those, just, even though okay. I only played like 10% of yeah. them. They're, they're so awesome. But anyways... Age of Steam, awesome system. You should definitely know about it if you enjoy train games. Start with uh, Railways of the World, though. Okay. It, it's just a gentler entry into the system, but if you like it, you should check out Age of Steam. There's more to be enjoyed. There's more to cool. be enjoyed. Okay. And then lastly, you can't talk about train games without talking about 18xx, right? Probably the most notorious game category, and I think a little bit unfairly so. So people always be like, oh, that game is really difficult or really heavy. And they're like, oh, is it like an 18xx game? You know, it's like <laughs> the ultimate and difficulty level. And, and while I will say that I do think it can be challenging to learn at first, and Jason, I would be interested in what you think here. A lot of Lacerda's games to be more complicated than 1846. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right? I think part of what you're considering with 18xx is just the length of yeah even 1846 which is one of the shorter more accessible ones is five six hours of your time right this is the reason why i've never actually played one of these (laughs) i'm unwilling to commit that amount of time you take something like 1822 and you're talking a day and a half easy yeah 
but they're cool. So I, I guess I should explain quickly how they work. So 18XX, unlike Ticket to Ride or Age of Steam, where you have your own color and you control your own train company, 18XX games are shared ownership games, mm. generally speaking. You're going to have different companies that you're going to invest in. So you'll be buying shares in companies. Depending on the game, once a certain number of shares have been purchased, the company floats at that point. In other words, it becomes active and you can start laying track for that company. And the way that that track is built is determined by the primary shareholder who's considered to be the president of the company. But if you own shares in it, you're invested in it, right? You want it to do well too because you want to make money. And that presidency can change, right? It can be taken over and all kinds of crazy stuff can happen in 18xx depending on the style of game. So there's a certain class of 18xx which is more focused on route building, like 1846, for example, whereas there are other games like 1830, which are more stock market games. Okay. Where you can tank companies and screw people over and (laughs) force them to have to buy trains or force their trains to rust. 18x games can be really mean depending on the game. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's a whole different animal. But I did want to just make the point that I do feel like they have a little bit of an unfair rap. I really don't feel like 18xx games are that hard, especially once you learn them. Because what's also cool about them is once you learn the system, learning the other ones is not that hard because they're all built on that skeleton. Yeah. Right? Right. It's just minor variations of a core system. Okay. So you just have to learn it. And then once you've learned it, it's not too bad. It sounds like we're sort of advocating on it. It's not so much that the difficulty of entry is the weight of the game, but more just the time commitment. Yep. Perhaps. Right. Okay. On the front end. Okay. Yep. Well, we talked a lot about some interesting train games and the train game landscape in general. Let's talk about some hidden gem train games. Potentially. Potentially. Let's do it. Let's do it. Not very long ago, in the top left-hand corner of Wales, there was a railway. It wasn't a very long railway, or a very important railway, but it was called the Merioneth and Lanticilli Rail Traction Company Limited, and it was all there was. And in a shed, in a siding at the end of the railway, lives the locomotive of the Merioneth and Lanticilli Rail Traction Company Limited, which was a long name for a little engine. So his friends just called him Ivor. Help Ivor to collect lost sheep and to complete tasks for his friends. You'll get extra rewards for clearing sheep from each area and bonuses for events from the Ivor stories. The player with the most sheep at the end of the game is the winner. Fantastic. That was spot on, man. I pulled up some of those clips on YouTube and you sound just like him. I'm sure all of our Welsh viewers appreciate that attempt. Yes, all of them. Are they on our map? Not yet. Not yet. We'll get there. (laughs) All right, Wales. Maybe one day. This review will either greatly help that or we'll ensure that it never happens. Everyone from Wales. (laughs) I thought it was tastefully done. Thanks. I was trying mostly to mimic exactly how they did it on the show. Yeah, and the names were well done too. Thank you. Thank you. 
I would not attempt those pronunciations. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So if you hadn't figured it out yet, we're talking about Ivor, the engine. Published in 2014 by Esdevium and Surprised Stair Games Limited. At the time of this recording, Speed GD rank is 5,218. All right. Okay. Wow. Is that the highest one yet? No. String Savannah. Junk. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. Designer of this game is Tony Boydell. Okay. Do you know other games Tony Boydell has designed, Jason? I don't know off the top of my head, but I know the name. Yeah. So he designed Snowdonia. That's right. Which we like. Uh, I, at least I like it quite a bit. You like that game too, right? Yeah. I, you've not I played, played it. it. I don't think so. Yeah. Snowdonia is a train-themed game, but it's okay. a worker placement game. Okay. Really. It's a worker placement game about trying to build track up Mountain Snowdonia, I guess. Yep. Right? You've been there. Well, it's Mount Snowden. It's Mount it's Snowden, in right. the Welsh National Park, I guess. Right. Uh, of right. Snowdonia. Is Tony Boydell from Wales? Not sure. A connection. I need to re- research this. If you don't know Snowdonia, it's a little bit older game. If you're kind of newer to the hobby, you may have heard of his more updated version of Snowdonia, which is Alubari, A Nice Cup of Tea, which I hear is very similar to Snowdonia and is actually quite a good game, too. He's also designed Guilds of London, which surprised me, which is a oh, game yeah. that we might feature on here. So Tony Boydell. How did I hear about this game? Believe it or not, this might surprise you. Were you were just a huge fan of the cartoon. <laughs> yeah, when you not were a exactly. kid growing up in North Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I had never heard of Ivor the Engine until this game, but I had initially heard of this game on Heavy Cardboard. Okay. Okay. They did a live stream of this game. All right. Okay. Which wow. is sh- shocking because this is not a heavy game. Okay. At all. This just doesn't seem like a game that would be in their catalog, but. I saw it on there and then just disregarded it. it. It didn't really grab me. But when we were preparing for this podcast, when I was going through the BGG rankings, mm. working up from 5,000, mm. I saw it again. Okay. And it jogged my memory about right. it. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, I haven't heard anything about this game except for the Heavy Cardboard podcast. I was like, I think I want to check it out. I was just intrigued by it. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I almost blew past it because it looks like a kid's game. Yeah. Right? It, it doesn't look yep. like a game that we would play. But... Here we are. So, Ivor the Engine. Before I go through the rules, Jason did a little bit of research on Ivor the Engine. So, he's going to tell us a little bit about it, because I really don't know much about it, to be quite honest. Yeah, I did. So, obviously, we're American and have fairly little exposure to Ivor the Engine. But, I mean, it's a kid's cartoon. It's similar to Thomas the Tank Engine. Or right. For whales. Chuggington. I'm up on my kids' <laughs> train shows. But, yeah. So, there were 40 episodes, roughly. Produced between 1959 and late 1970s. It's interesting. It's actually a cutout animation show. So right. basically they use cardboard cutouts that are painted watercolor and they stop motion them. Ah. Which is impressive. Yeah. Right? When you look at the actual output quality of that, mm-hmm. it seems super labor intensive, but that's how they did it. Hmm. I was created and narrated by a guy named Oliver Postgate. The art was done by Peter Furman. Chris, you'll find this interesting. I don't know if many of our listeners will know about this game. It might be another hidden gem that we feature, but Oliver Postgate also created another kid's television show, Noggin the Nod. Yes, which I have. And so Tales from the Northland, yes. the saga of Noggin the Nod, yes. is based on another show 
by the same creator as Ivor the Engine. No way. That's on my shelf of shame. It's sitting right there. That game, it looks like a big book right there. It needs yep. to get played. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That's cool, yeah. Oliver Postgate actually did a lot of the sound effects and voices for all of the characters in the show. So a lot of the train sound effects and things he did <laughs> himself. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, it's basically a show about Ivor, whose fondest dream is to sing with the Grumbly and District Choral Society. A dream that is realized when his whistle is replaced with three pipes from an old fairground organ. And he becomes the first bass of the choir. <laughs> as well as providing them with a means of getting from place to place, conveniently. Yeah. Interesting. But, yeah. Well, that so. gives some context for sure to like dropping people off for choir practice and right is that yeah. what we were doing is well it's on some of the cards oh, it says like yeah. drop people off for choir practice at grumbly town uh, i see yeah. okay so that's ivor's life dream it's all coming full circle now, all right that, uh, interesting all a right a little bit so, of context yeah ivor the engine rules all right not too many rules here this should be pretty quick so in essence ivor the engine in my mind i consider it to be a race it's not racing game like you're racing around a track, but you're racing to a common goal. So depending on the number of players you have in a game, you're racing to either collect 20 or 25 sheep, okay? And you're trying to do that quickly because this game can go quickly. Real quick. Real quick. So you're trying to hit that target. Once you hit that target number, you haven't necessarily won. That just triggers the end of the game. And then at the end of that round... Whoever has the most points, which is number of sheep, wins the game. Right. So what you're going to be doing is you're going to be taking control of a train. And you're going to be guiding this train through wells in an attempt to pick up sheep and to complete jobs for sheep. <laughs> so on your turn, the first thing you're going to do is in the hex that you are currently in, you are just going to pick up a sheep for free. If when you pick up that sheep, it's the last sheep in the hex you will get a bonus of two sheep for clearing that hex of its sheep. Woohoo! So then once you've taken your sheep, you then have the option, you don't have to, but you have the option to move. And you can move one hex into adjacent areas that are connected by a rail line that runs all throughout the board. It's a hex board that's connected by different railroads. You can, however, move farther than that on your turn by spending coal. When you spend that coal, for every coal you spend, you can move an additional hex. On your turn, as you're moving, you're going to have the opportunity to also play cards from your hand. Your cards can do one of two things. So let's say, for example, I move on to Grumbly Gasworks. And Grumbly Gasworks is free of sheep. And I have a Grumbly Gasworks card. I can play that card to the table and fulfill that job and claim sheep for it. However, let's say I don't want to claim the job because the hex is not free of sheep. On the bottom of each card... There is a special action written. So instead of playing the card for the job, I can play the card for the action. And the actions range from incredibly helpful to incredibly to, mean. To incredibly mean. <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely destroy people with these special actions. That's all I'll say about it right now. But yeah, so you have some flexibility there. You can play as many cards as you want in your turn. Once you've completed that part of your turn... You will then draw a card from a line of cards back into your hand. And then you will draw a new card to replace the card you chose from the lineup. If you draw a card that is an event card, you will read the text on the event card and all kinds of crazy nonsense will happen. 
You just read what the card says and do what it does. Once somebody's hit that trigger, like I said, you'll count up your sheep. Most sheep at the end of the game wins. That is how you play Ivor the Engine. Simple. Simple, right? (laughs) So, I think the question I would pose to you guys as I was thinking about how we're going to review this is, when I pulled this game off the shelf and you saw the cover and you saw the art and you saw the board set up and I explained the rules, what were you expecting in the game? And then how would you describe your first play of this game? I mean, you look at the artwork of this game, it looks really pleasant, really easygoing. On the box, I think we were laughing about the fact that it says, contains sheep. <laughs> on the- Sheeples. That's right. Sheeples, literally. Uh, I mean, it looks like a children's game. Yeah, it does. If you're familiar with the Haba line of games, it looks like a Haba game. It looks incredibly simple. Yes. Yep. And easy, and it's just not... <laughs> It's just not any of those things. Yeah, I mean, it's a kid's show, right? And the art does that justice. The art on the game board and the the box looks like a kid's show. This game is mean. (laughs) It's real mean. (laughs) It's one of the meanest games I've ever played, I think. And it it doesn't have to be. We've played games that were less mean. I I think it has to be. There are some of those card abilities, and you alluded to this earlier. Some of those card abilities are just vicious. Oh, man. Like steal the last sheep off of a tile that somebody was hoping to get that bonus from you know just throw five more sheep onto a tile yeah. that somebody was hoping oh, to clear off so that they could ready score to complete two jobs on that hex sorry guess uh. you get one sheep instead of seven <laughs> and then there's one card that you just give somebody a token where they basically just can't score points for their entire oh, next turn oh my gosh which is and you brutal. can get you can get those and then give them to the same person twice in a row and maybe put your friendship with them at risk momentarily. (laughs) (laughs) Cameron speaks from experience. I I will tell you. So we were playing this game. We played this game back to back one night and I'm choosing to tell myself that it was just how the game was playing out. But literally Cameron was hitting me over and over again with these brutal take that cards. And the first couple times I was like, you know, whatever. And by the fourth time, I was thinking, what did I do to deserve this? And by the fifth time, I'm pretty sure that I was yelling at you and was mad. And I actually had to apologize to Cameron like, after the game. Why are you doing that to me? I'm not even in the lead. And I was like, dude, I can do this to you. I can't do it to him. And he was like, but why? it doesn't make sense. He's in the lead. I'm not even. I'm not going to win. For the record, I did not win that game. No, he did. Chris, Chris won, did. Which I felt bad about. Yeah. He'd give me oh. all this lip about it, and he actually won. I was complaining and moaning the hard time. But this would be a good question for the guild. Guild members. I might start a thread on this. Yeah. When you can hurt somebody, do you hurt the person that you can hurt the most, or do you hurt the person that's in the lead? I vote that you hurt the person that's in the lead. That's the way I do it. But for whatever reason, Cameron had decided that this night he was going to hurt me because it hurt me the most. And man, oh... You were just crushing me. I really did feel bad after they're, that game. They're, they're brutal, though. I mean, anytime that you can take an action in a game that causes a player to forfeit their entire turn, yeah. effectively, I mean, you can still do stuff. You could still move around on your turn if you have that token, but you can't the collect thing sheep. is, if you have the opportunity to score points, you can't. Yeah. And that's it's brutal. It is. It is. Folks, 
This is one of the most evil games in existence. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Okay, don't, don't let the innocent well, cartoons. I, I, I will. You. I will say my first impression of this game when I read the rules and I put it down. It looks just very whimsical. You know, you're reading the flavor text, and I'm thinking. Oh man, I'm taking Mr. Tim to Mrs. Porty's house to have tea, you know, and I'm like going through the English countryside and I'm picking up sheep and I'm telling you by the second round of the game, I felt like I was going through like a burning hellscape. Yeah. You're like, if someone if someone else takes one more of my you know, sheep like yeah. <laughs> It's brutal. And it's like, please let me get to my next turn without someone <laughs> screwing me over. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Okay. Because I thought about this. Is it just a beat up your opponent type of thing? Why are these elements in this game? And I think you mentioned it. This game can go really fast. And for that matter, oh, the boy. last time I played this game, it was over in like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Because was- you had raced so far ahead. I don't know if you got a magical combination of cards or if you had just figured out the route that you needed to go. But you blazed past the rest of us really quickly. And I think in part it was because no one did whack you. Uh, You have to play defensively in this game. I agree. If you don't, the game will be over super fast. If you try to be nice, someone is going to be able to exploit that. And they will win. And you will not. (laughs) Yeah. When games have take that in them, generally, I usually just don't participate in it and hope that I don't get hit, but I usually just try to keep doing my own thing and hope it works out for me. But I agree with you. In this game, you must participate in it and get your hands dirty if you want to have a chance in this game. I I think when Tony Boyle designed it, he meant for it to be that way. Yeah. Why do you think that people hesitate to play take that type actions? I mean, some people love them. I think it's a personality thing. Yeah. I, I just prefer to try to stick to my own plans and try to make my stuff work because in a lot of take that games with some strategy, usually they're a bit longer and the take that is usually sparse. It's like a card here or there. Yeah. Like uh, Lords of Waterdeep. That would okay. be a good example. Yeah. Yeah. Lords of Waterdeep has that freaking mandatory quest card in it. Oh, Where gosh. Yeah. you can play it on somebody and they have to spend their resources to complete a quest that pays out crappily and it's a way to slow the leader down Mm -hmm. but they're very rare right Mm -hmm. that's tolerable this game it's every play but it's short Mm -hmm. which is something to consider right is it tolerable with a ton of take that if the game is short i know what i would say i'm gonna save that till later (laughs) i would say the the tendency is to go like in pool all right fine i lost rack it up again you know let's go for it right Because it's so quick to play, right? Sure. Speaking about the length of the game, there's a thing in this game where it is kind of like engine building, right? In the beginning of the game, there's a blanket of sheep everywhere. Yeah. And there's a little bit of time that everybody's moving somewhat slow because there's not a lot of places where you can play jobs. And so what you're right. trying to do in those first couple of turns is, can I sort my cards out? Can I use up the ones that aren't really going to get me to jobs that I want to complete? To where I can eventually take a turn where I'm like, bam, bam, coal, coal, you know, job, job, you know, and you're not just picking up one sheep anymore. You're getting three jobs done. So it's not really an engine, but it's kind of like a a buildup. Yeah. Yeah. That has definitely happened to me in this game several times. And it's pretty satisfying. You can definitely have some awesome turns. You had a couple where I was like weirdly pulling for you because i was like whoa that's cool yeah Keep doing like it. yeah if you've got enough coal where you can or really gold. move 
and you can snipe a spot of a sheep and clear it off and run in there and do a job and then go over here and do another job and then get gold there to get more coal to move to another spot. You can orchestrate a pretty awesome turn if your opponents let you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really right. the thing, right? Your best laid plans can get absolutely crushed yeah. in this game and you just need to be aware of that. With some of the cards, we're talking about the, the gotcha cards, are like you just steal coal from people. So if they were counting on that for their turn... Yep, can't do it now. You've just taken away their opportunity to do it. Yep. Yeah, so let's move on to to things that maybe we didn't like so much about this game. What were your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, so this game is probably one of the worst, if not the worst defender of form over function that I've ever seen in a game. It's so bad. And what I mean by that is the board looks cool. It's drawn in this really cool, stylized art in the vein of the Ivor cartoon. It looks great. But the train tracks look like spaghetti, and they're really hard to follow. So the way that they try to assist you in that is on the board, they have these dark outlines showing sides of the hex you can't pass through. Right. And white lines outlining sides of the hex you can't pass through, which helps some, but you need like a freaking magnifying glass to see these things. Yeah, it's hard to read. Every time I've played this game with somebody, especially new people, they always try to move across black lines. Right. And I'm like, oh no, you can't do that. And then they're bummed because right. they plan the Because they were planning on that. It, yeah. And not only that, but a good number of the hexes on the board are irregularly shaped too. Yes. They're like double oh hexes gosh. or like a half of a double hex and can throw people off too if they're not paying attention. It's like, where is Ivor's shed? Where is Grumbly Gasworks? Where is Yon Mod? I don't freaking know. You're constantly looking, where is this place? Where is this place? It is very hard to navigate this map. Do you feel like there's anything that could have been done differently with that one? Though? Yeah. So for one thing, the board needs to be bigger. Oh, okay. Just sheer size. Okay. Because these hexes get real busy. Oh, there's yeah. The art on the hex, there's the name on the hex, but then you've got all these sheep on the hex. Mm-hmm. Then when you move onto it, here's your cardboard shit sitting on it. Because... The board is so small, it's hard to see the names because everything is covered, covered up with up. components. That's fair. Right? It's just terrible. The, the barrier to entry is hard. Once you've played it a couple of times, you get past that. You sort man, of remember it, where things are. It's freaking and, yeah. painful the first couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the double hexes was something that got me multiple times and actually screwed up some of my turns because I thought that it was one hex when it was actually two. Yeah, I'd say y'all have probably mentioned most of my points around this. I think some of the event cards as well can be (laughs) drastic game changers. There's one that removes a sheep from every single tile on the board or one that adds a sheep to every single tile on the board, right? And that can throw so much chaos into the middle of an already chaotic game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I see their usefulness. And they do add that additional element of you can purchase them for a gold to have right, an endgame right. scoring ability. Yeah. But honestly, I'm not even really sure how much those endgame scoring abilities really even factored into most of our games. Maybe that's because we're playing it incorrectly. Yeah. Or maybe it's because the one game I played ended in three turns and I didn't even <laughs> get to move my train. Right. But yeah, the event cards seem to add just a little bit more chaos to an already chaotic game i was okay with that honestly the the whole it happens to everybody factor because they weren't always usually they weren't always mean there are a couple of events that are like if you have the most sheep put two sheep back I'm like, uh, well yeah maybe that's a catch-up mechanism but it kind of sucks if you're in the lead well let's move on to final thoughts mm-hmm. okay <clears throat> this is a weird game 
<laughs> there are so many reasons why I should hate this game. <laughs> and there are some days that I felt like I did hate this game. For a lot of the reasons I mentioned, form over function, I don't necessarily love Take That. However, I will just go ahead and say I'm giving this game a 4. I'm going to keep this game. It's barely a 4. And I know that kind of sounds bad. I, I guess what I'm saying is... This is the kind of game that I would only pull out in certain situations when everybody is in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. This True. could be the kind of game that you could play at the end of the night just to loosen up and have fun if everybody's in the mood to mess with each other. Mm-hmm. I think it could serve that purpose because if everybody's doing it and everybody's in that kind of mood, it can be fun. It's short. And this game does have some good decisions in it. You can flesh out some really cool turns. Yeah. If your opponents let it happen, yeah. right? So for those reasons, I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to hang on to it for now. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I was on the fence for a lot of the same reasons as you. I, I eventually settled on a three. I think mainly because I had to ask myself the question of, would I introduce this to somebody new to the hobby? <laughs> it's a lot of barriers. I think there are a lot of barriers to that. (laughs) And just some of the practical usability aspects of it, the art and the components, I think just put me off a little bit. I wanted to like this game. And like I said, I was on the edge of a four for a lot of the same reasons, right? I think in the right circumstances, it could be a good fit for a game night, Mm -hmm. right? But I question for the average person who's collecting games that they're going to play with their family or or whatnot, how much reusability would they get out of a game like this, right? So, for that reason, I gave it a three. Yeah. And, and real oh, quickly, okay. b- before Cameron goes, you said, it, I don't think I would play it with my family. I would not play this game with children. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Yeah. Unless oh, you want to sure have not. crying kids on your hands. Or just... teach them about, you know, accepting loss. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to have some good life lessons on things not going your way, yeah. maybe you could play this game. But How can you have a good attitude when, you're... <laughs> That's right. when your friends are being mean to you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, sorry, camera. Go no, ahead. it's good. So, Ivor is a surprisingly tough game for how friendly and cute looking it is. It appears at first glance like you're just happily picking up sheep this whole game, and then someone plays a card, and now you lose your chance to get the sheep points that you were counting on for the past three turns, right? The good planning opportunities combined with the flexibility on your turns to play cards and complete jobs depending on your movement resources, the simplicity of the rules and the relatively short playtime, put Ivor at a four for me. Yeah. I feel like there's there we go. there's good decisions. There's flexibility. I think it plays pretty differently from one play to the next. I would definitely play it again. It's not my favorite, but it was enjoyable and painful in a good way. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's funny. I, I was really interested to hear what your thoughts were going to be on this, of both of you, because I know all three of us don't love Take That. Nah. Like I said, this is such a weird game. It's not a good feeling to feel no. like you've really genuinely offended your, your buddy, but also it's kind of funny sometimes. It is, Especially right? like in retrospect. You just got to get into it. I found myself strangely wanting to come back to it, even though it pissed me off over and over <laughs> again. It's weird in that yeah. way. All right. Cool. So if folks are interested in uh, trying out Ivor, where would they find it? Yeah, I have a bit of bad news on this one. This game is hard to find. Hmm. I think this is the kind of game that if you went in a board game store in Europe, you would see it there. I got this game from Europe. Oh, okay. I had it shipped. Yeah. Hmm. There are a couple of copies on BGG. Well, there are six, so there are a few. It's not totally rare, but 
It's really hard to get here. Maybe Amazon.de. I didn't even think to check on there, but I, I think it's more common here just because of the intellectual property of Ivor, right? Sure. So it could be hard to find, and I'm really not sure of its reprint potential because, at least in the States, nobody knows what Ivor is. Maybe potentially it could be rethemed because, like I said, I think the game has some merits and Tony Boydell has some pull, you know, so it might get reprinted at some point, but it's hard to find right now. Cool. Cool. All right. Those are our thoughts. Ivor the Engine. Yes. Each player takes the role of a president of a railway company. The players place train stations on the game board and link them with strings, which represent tracks. The goal of the game is to create the most prosperous network. The strings of the game not only represent tracks, but also the outer edge of the game board, a mountain, and a river. The table is the game board. Lamest flavor text Terrible. ever. I've had crackers that had more moisture in them than that. That was dry. The table is the game board? That's how it ends? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's true, oh, I word. suppose. It is true. Terrible. Uninspired. All not right. you. Oh, I mean, you know, hey, a dry flavor text gets a dry performance. <laughs> String Railways, published in 2009 by Okazu Brand, Asmodee, and Foxmind. Mm-hmm. Rated on BGG, 2,624. Designed by Hisashi Hayashi. So if you've been listening to the podcast, this should sound a little bit familiar <laughs> because we reviewed String Savannah in our first episode and we saw this online chris you can explain where where you found this but we we saw it online figured we had to give it a shot yeah so for some reason i i don't know how i missed this game in my board game journey from entering the hobby 10 years ago but i had somehow heard of string savannah but i had never heard of string railway and so when i was researching games that we were going to do for this episode i saw string railway and I was like, oh, crap. Because I was pretty sure I said something along the lines of, I don't know any other games that do this. <laughs> and here is another game by the same designer, which is very similar. And I just anticipated. I was like, oh, man, BGG, they're going to be like, oh, did you know, by the way, there's this game called String Railway. Right. So I figured we would just get ahead of that. There we go. Okay, we know it exists. We're going to review it. So yeah. that's how I figured out. And lo and behold, it. it's a train game. <laughs> and it's a train game. <laughs> So let's talk about the rules to String Railway. So if you remember our review from String Savannah, it's very similar. Mm -hmm. We're creating a large area on the table. The table is the game board. (laughs) With a a huge loop of string, which becomes, I don't know, the world that we're building trains in. And within that circle, there's also placed a smaller string loop that represents a mountain range and then a long string that represents a river Mm -hmm. okay so each player is going to start with a train station a small square card similar to the animal cards in string savannah that gets placed along the outer edge of that large area and each player also receives a number of strings in a particular color that represent their tracks one of which is twice as long as the others so on a turn Super simple. A player draws a station card off the top of a deck. They get to take a look at it. And 
their turn is basically placing that station card somewhere out within the world and then running one of their tracks. It has to start in a station, it has to end in a station, but it can pass through as many other stations as is legal right. along the way. Right. That's pretty much it. Each of the stations scores in a slightly different way. For most of them, the owner of the station, which is usually the first string that connects to it, scores a certain amount of points and subsequent strings that connect to that station score a different number of points and then there are a few special considerations like some of the stations score more if they're within the mountain range some of them score for every track that connects to it some of them give negative points for every track that connects to it for the person who owns that station aside from that where you lay your string if you cross over the mountain range or if you cross over the river or if you cross over an opponent's track, you get a minus point. So ultimately, you'll score points each time you lay a track based on mm-hmm. the number of stations that you connect to. Uh, you try to connect to as many stations as possible. You try to avoid other players' tracks and uh, you go until you run out of string. <laughs> so that's String Railway. <laughs> we have to talk about this game within the context of our previous review of String Savannah. Do you guys feel like this game is an improvement over that system? We, we had a lot to say about String Savannah. Yes, so we did. so yeah. what were your thoughts in, in relation to that? Yeah, so I'll, I'm happy to go first on this one. <laughs> if you're asking me, do I feel like this is an improvement on the String system compared to String Savannah? Absolutely. Do I feel like it makes the String system an awesome system for games? Nope. <laughs> I think it's a miserable system for games. <laughs> That's all I'll say right now. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we reviewed String Savannah, I was very much bothered by the imprecision of the system and the fiddliness of it. And I'm sorry to say that it is not improved with this game. That part might actually be worse. Oh boy, it might be. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about this, but you're right. With String Savannah, it's one string. Yep. One loop. Now granted, people are fiddling with it and moving it around and scooching things around, but it's just one string. This game, (laughs) once you get towards the end, looks like vomitous of a (laughs) yarn ball. I mean, it is yarn everywhere, okay? I You're mean, moving it, other people's rails who the around. Who knows what's going on <laughs> in this spaghetti pile? You know what I mean? It is crazy. Yeah, in my opinion, I would say this is almost a downgrade. Yeah. String Savannah at least had the element of you only get one shot to lay this string right. down. And you have to mentally trying to figure out, okay, can I really get all those cards that I'm trying to group together right. in this loop? With this, it's just throw a string down on the table, move it around until it fits, and try to link as many things together as possible, right? Like, it's a no-brainer that every single turn, you're going to lay your station somewhere where you can reach it, and then you're going to touch as many stations as you possibly can. And it's just (laughs) a chaos of string. And when I say that I, I think it's an improvement on the string system, what I mean is that I think that it does a better job of trying to make the string components fit into a theme. In String Safari, 
Yeah. The strings make no sense in the context of what you're doing. Here, you're at least, you can imagine, like we're laying out a line and it means a railroad track, you're connecting one station to the next. I think that is an improvement, but implemented and actually played and in terms of, is it a better game? No. Honestly, yeah. I think it's probably a worse game than string Savannah. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with what you said earlier too, Jason, about the obviousness of the turns. That was the same problem I had with string Savannah. And again, in this game, I always felt like when I evaluated the board, I was like, this is the obvious move, right? This is what I should do. The game lures you into thinking there's some strategy like, oh, well, if you lay your string out and they have to cross your string, then they lose points. But they never but do. They never do. There's always yeah. ways to finagle your string so exactly. that it goes somewhere where it doesn't have to cross something else. Like exactly. We, we played it. No one ever crossed another track. Nope. And the board looked like spaghetti yes so the fact that everyone was able to somehow in that system still manage to never cross another track means it's kind of irrelevant yeah Mm. i thought about this the only way that you can ensure that you mess people over and force them to cross your string is to lay your long string in such a way directly in front of them (laughs) yeah to where you force them to but if you do that you're just shooting yourself in your foot because that long string its purpose should be to pass through as many stations as possible, not to hinder your opponents. Yeah. If you don't maximize your points on that long string, you're going to lose. Yeah. You might make somebody else's life more miserable, but you've lost the game if you do that. There's just no strategy there. The, does anybody have anything positive to say about this game? Okay, final thoughts. <laughs> Are we ready? I feel final like I want to go first on this one. Okay, yeah, go ahead. It. This game has no strategy. There, there <laughs> is really no does. strategy to it. I feel like they tried. I, I failed to mention in the rules somehow. There's so few of them. Each station can only have so many strings running into it. Some of them have limitations. Others don't. But even with that, mm-hmm. there is no strategy to this game. I'm going to lay down a string and I'm going to touch as many pieces of cardboard as possible. And that's my turn. Right? I gave this game a two, but honestly, I was struggling to not give it a one. I'm not sure this is even a game, (laughs) right? If it comes to my turn and the goal is lay a string down and touch as many pieces of cardboard as possible, that's not a game. (laughs) It's an exercise. (laughs) And so I was honestly between a one and a two because, you know, our definition of a one is a broken game. I'm not sure this is a game. (laughs) <laughs> so i gave it a two that's where i landed on this one yeah not gonna lie i hated string railway mm-hmm. this game did nothing for me i wasn't frustrated because i didn't feel like i understood how to play i just honestly didn't care about playing it i don't like the style of the game i don't like the components i don't like the decisions i never want to play it again <laughs> maybe those sentiments are unjustified because we didn't mention it, but we actually heard from a couple of pretty well-known reviewers that yeah. they actually really liked the game. Tom Vassell gave this game an 8 out of 10. Go. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, it was a That's while ago, not but... where I'm at with this game. I mean, I trust Tom's reviews. I think he's a great reviewer. I cannot for the life of me figure out why. I mean, I'm pretty confident we didn't miss anything, but I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't think it's broken. I mean, I, I considered that for a while. I wanted to give it a 1, <laughs> but we can't. If it's not if it's not genuinely broken, then you can't give it a one. I think the game, if you can call it a game, is don't give points to your opponents, I guess. Because you should be able to get all of the possible points on the board when it's your turn. 
but I just I didn't have fun playing it. So two. All right. So when we reviewed String Savannah, I said something along the lines of that I thought that the string mechanism was clever and that I hope somebody finds a clever way to use it in other games. <laughs> I'm rescinding that comment. <laughs> this doesn't work, okay? This is terrible. This should not be used. It, it is so imprecise and so fiddly. And like Jason said, there's just no meaningful choices in this game. The string mechanism is so fiddly and, and just doesn't work well. I'm giving this a one. Oh, okay. I am. I don't think it works. Mm. That's the thing. It's not like it's a broken strategy or anything. There is no strategy. The mechanism just doesn't work, right? Yeah. At least for us. It's just falling flat. Everybody hates it. Brandon was playing. He's like, this game stinks. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, it does. Everybody felt that. It's not yeah. just us. Yeah, yeah, no. No, you're right. You know? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm shocked it's ranked as high as it is. Honestly, well, if you discover another string variant game, we're not reviewing it. <laughs> so I know you're aware of it. There's a game called Paperclip Railways. Oh, that I saw photos of that. Same Heck visceral no. reaction. I almost wanted to throw up. I a refuse. Bit. And now, yeah. when you have to build your strings out of paperclips, <laughs> that sounds painful. All right. Well, <laughs> af- after all that, yeah. Oh, where man, where can we fun. get it, Chris? Do I even have to tell people where you can find it? I feel this like game? that was cathartic, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully. There are only two BGG listings of this game and two eBay listings. So you're going to have a hard time finding it. It's probably because most people just throw it away Burned instead of theirs. sell it. Because they don't want to torture people with this dumpster fire of a game. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we're being too harsh here. Maybe there are people that enjoy String Savannah. I don't know. We're having a little bit of fun with it. Hey, go on our guild. Join our guild. And honestly, tell us why we're wrong. Maybe we just totally yeah, missed the sure. strategy in this game, and you're like, y'all are idiots, and you didn't play it right. But I, I would I would love to hear somebody try to tell me why they think this game is as good as, as it may be. But I, I didn't see it. So. Same. All right. String Railways. Well, that's a wrap on String Railways and on string games in general. That's it. a western rail and real estate baron. Unleash the engines of progress in 19th century America, where the rail ruled the west, creating fortunes and fueling economic growth. In this game about the western expansion of the railroads, players steer the development of five major railroads and four short lines so as to enhance the values of the city and boomtown properties they control while also earning bonuses for completion of connections. That was a good one. Thanks. I like the accent. I did too. That was spot on. You have to use that one again. Five major railways. Five major railways. (laughs) Santa Fe Rails. Published in 2001 by GMT Games. The time of this recording, ranked 2,696. It's behind String Railway. Designed by Alan Moon, designer of Ticket to Ride, that we've talked about already. So how did I hear about this game? I heard about this game from a podcast contributor named Jeff Engelstein. So Jeff has a podcast called Ludology that I've listened to a little bit. But if you don't know, Jeff is a super cerebral dude. You can just tell. He's uber intelligent. And he often contributes to the Dice Tower 
And years ago, he did a top 10 list of his favorite train games. Okay. He started naming off a lot of these older, more obscure train games, and Santa Fe slash Santa Fe Rails was one of them. So that's what got my attention about it. And I was kind of intrigued by this game because a lot of people consider this to be the precursor to Ticket to Ride. A lot of the ideas from this game is what ultimately led to his development of Ticket to Ride, albeit much more streamlined with Ticket Mm -hmm. to Ride, right? But this is kind of the, the evolution. Okay. So, rule summary. Right off the bat, I think it's important to note that unlike the previous two games where you own your own rail lines in Santa Fe Rails, this is a shared ownership game. There are five major lines in this game, all of their own unique color of a different number of trains, and the players are going to have shared responsibility in laying those trains or that track out sending those railroads from the Midwest in a Western direction, generally speaking. At least the game incentivizes you to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, And the reason for that is that whenever a major railroad, or any railroad for that matter, even the the small lines, hook into a city for the first time, you get a $2 bonus every time you do that. And at the end of the game, every dollar is a point. So that's two points, basically. Okay? So that in and of itself will encourage railways to go westward, right? To hook into new cities. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that cities on the board, particularly cities on the west coast, will have colors assigned to them. For example, if a city has a green color attached to it, if the green rail line hooks into that city, the first person to do that will get a $4 bonus for making that happen. Again, incentivizing the railways to move westwardly, like they did historically, but not necessarily. Okay, it's just an incentive. All right. So the way that the game is played is that on your turn, you're going to have a hand of four cards, and you're going to choose a card from your hand. You're going to play it face down in front of you. Once everybody at the table has done that, you will simultaneously reveal your cards. Okay. Then, starting with the player in first position... Let's just, we'll take it from the simplest example. Let's say everybody plays a city card in front of them. Starting with the first player, that player will lay one piece of track on the board, any color that they want, starting from the home base. Then the next player will lay a piece, lay a piece around and around until it gets to the start player. They will then lay a second piece of track. It'll go around one more time with everybody laying track, and then the round will be concluded. Now, where it gets interesting is after the first round, When players go to the next round, they draw a card to replace the card they played. And this is where you can start to get some diversity in your hand. You can either draw another city card, or you can draw cards that will allow you to break the train placing rules. So in other words, there's a card that's called the four-in-one. So if you play the four-in-one, you can lay four trains down on your turn instead of just your one for one of the two placements. So you may be asking yourself, well, why wouldn't I just take cards like that every time? Because there are several cards that do things like that, that let you lay more. And the answer to that is that if you play that card, you're not playing a city card to the table. So what's so great about city cards? Well, city cards are like your tickets in Ticket to Ride. So the way that city cards score is they have a value assigned to them. So Las Vegas, for example, is worth six points. If you play Las Vegas in front of you, it's worth nothing until a train line hooks into it. Then it would be worth six points. If two unique trains hook into Las Vegas, then it's worth six times two, or 12 points. So two different colors. Two different colors. 
If three different lines or three different colors hooked into it, then it would be worth 18 points, right? So that's the value of the city cards. So you have to make that decision. Am I going for on-the-board scoring and mobility, or am I going for city cards? Okay. The game will end once all five of the major lines are exhausted or they're dead-ended. Once that's finished, it'll be cash on hand plus the value of each of your cities. Whoever has the highest value at the end of the game wins. Okay. So, like I said, this game is a shared ownership game where we're all laying these train companies down together, sharing that responsibility. How do you guys feel about shared ownership games in general, and how did you feel this game did with it? Did it do a good job of it? Yeah, I like that aspect of this game. I think it's definitely a a step or quite a few steps up from Ticket to Ride, right? But I like that aspect. I think it adds attention of I might be trying to get the yellow line to go in a particular direction or to a particular city, but not only might someone have a different objective to get it somewhere else, but somebody else could just decide that, hey, I'm just going to divert this train and make it go completely opposite direction so they can never get there. It's not going that way. Right. Because one interesting thing that you didn't mention, too, is not only is it shared ownership, but the way the tracks are laid, you always have to lay new track at the head of a train line, which is a little bit unique in these train games and in a lot of train lane games you can lay track wherever you want as long as it eventually connects to something or eventually completes somewhere and so that really restricts the movement of a particular train right because you can only extend it from its current location with the exception of branch cards which we'll we'll talk about and sure. i think are pretty cool but yeah that aspect of it can only move away from where it currently is makes that shared ownership that much more tense because i can't just branch off and go to a city that we already passed by right right in order to get back to that city, we would have to turn the train around and go back the other direction, which may also not be possible, right, depending on the, the circumstances. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciated it as well in the sense that I feel like it gives everyone at the table a sense of control. You don't really ever feel like, oh, there's nothing I can do about that particular line because that's Chris's line. Right. I was hoping to score points from White, but Chris is controlling. No, if it's your turn, if you have an opportunity, there's available space, then boom, you can just play it. Yep. If you wanted to go down that path and maybe on purpose, you know that it's going to take something away from someone else, you can do it. Yep. I, I liked having a, a feeling of, okay, I, I have a stake in this game. I can control what's happening. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, another thing I really liked about this game, and I kind of hinted at it when I was going through the rules, I think... The scoring is really fascinating, and I'm still not sure I figured out what's best. And I don't think there is a best. I think it's just different. That keep choice, playing it. <laughs> what's that? You just have to keep playing it. Yeah, yeah. And I've played this game seven times now, and I still wasn't sure if I was even ready to review it. Because I feel like every time I play it, I learn something new about <laughs> it. And I think it's just how these shared ownership games work. Like these winsome train games, there are just so many layers to think about. It's cool. But one of the things I really like was... Do I play a special movement card and try to ensure that the train gets to where I want it to go or multiple lines Mm -hmm. going the way I want them to go, try to score some on-the-board bonuses, or do I just play another city card at the table? Yeah. Because that's points, right? If you can get a lot of city cards down, I've seen people win that way. They're probably going to be worth at least something. At least worth something. But at the same time, if you can divert a lot of tracks to run through cities that you already have down, that's worth a lot of points too, right? So that's the fun of it. Which action is worth more? Do I take the special movement card or do I just play another city down? It's a hard decision. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like a theme for this episode has been the idea of multiple paths to victory. Mm -hmm. 
And we're also talking about trains, which yeah. just kind of makes that a, Lots fun, of paths. a fun turn of phrase. But yeah, multiple paths to victory. Yeah, for sure. You can kind of play it different ways and maybe try different things out from one play to the next. Yeah. So one thing that, you know, in our post-game discussions, we had a lot of this talk about was the concern about the Western cities, like the most Western yep. cities mm-hmm. on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. They're the most valuable and if you're able to hook into those multiple times, you're in a strong position to win. Mm-hmm. How did y'all feel about that? Did you feel like that those cards were overpowered? Because in a lot of our games, the person that did win did tend to have a lot of those seven value West Coast cards. Yeah, I had a lot of concern about that after the first time I played this game because despite my best efforts, I couldn't get a single one of those the whole game, right? And we talked a lot about, well, okay, what does that mean? That maybe you just try to divert trains and keep them from being able to get to the West Coast. I don't know. Maybe that is part of the strategy. I'm not sure if that's 100% possible, especially when you factor in that there are minor train lines that start on the West Coast that can add to that scoring potential. Yeah, we'll get to this later with the variants. I think there are ways to mitigate that, perhaps. But it definitely was a concern. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It was a little worrisome to me at first, a lot worrisome actually. But I do think that the variant rule where you have to pay for a track where you cross water or where you cross mountains, which become a lot more abundant as you move west, is an absolute requirement for this mm. game. It's not a variant, it's the rule. Right. <laughs> it, it is how it should be played. Because if you don't, the people that just happen to draw a lot of the West Coast cards. Will win, I yep. think, if that rule's not in place. Because not only is that variant a deterrent for going west, it also cuts into their profits, right? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Because if you're destined to take the game out west because you got those cards early on in the game, it's like, okay, well, that's great. But as far as everyone else is concerned, you're going to have to pay for it. If, if they're spending a lot of money building the track to get out there, then their seven multiplier city, even if it's worth like 14 or 21, even if they spent 12 to get out there, then it really didn't help them as much, right? Well, at least it I balanced it maybe it, right. from what That's it would have been otherwise. Yeah, yeah, whereas without the variant, it's just too powerful. I, I think, too, as we're playing the game more, we're learning how to play it more defensively. What I mean right. by that is it's real easy to get focused on your own stuff, but I think the more that you can hinder other people is really how it's intended to be played. Mm-hmm. And in the last game, we looked, and it could have been done. There were two major lines that got to the West Coast, and they literally hit seven-point cities to the train. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if just one person had played one more train just to nowhere and just bit the bullet and gave up their placement for that turn, it would have denied several people seven points apiece, yeah, which is yeah, a lot. Yeah. So I think if you play this game, to get the most out of it, you have to play it that way. Denial is as mm. much of a strategy as getting your own stuff done. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting trade-off with that because with the way the branch cards work, and we didn't talk a lot about branch cards, but I mentioned that you can only build off of the head of a train, right? Unless on your turn instead of choosing a city card or a track building card you choose a branch card for that Mm -hmm. particular train that lets you you know branch off at any previous city it seems like that's one of the primary ways that you could burn track for a train but it's costing you an entire turn right to go get that card to do it and so it's yet another trade-off of 
is it worth that extra time to go and harm someone else? Or multiple people. Or multiple people, right. But I will say this game does require that you're constantly paying attention to what other people are going for. You have to know what cities people have in front of them and what their goals are. Because if you don't, you're just playing into their hand, basically. Yeah. And that was one con for me. You kind of segued into it nicely. In this game, particularly in a three-player game, the number of cities that get down in front of people is just immense. Like... 12 to 15, right? It's just so hard to track what everybody has and where they've been and where they're trying to go. Who's going to score? It gets too hard to keep up with. I strongly recommend that if you play this game, you play it with four or five, and really I would say five. I I think that's what it's meant to be played at. Interesting. Because it's fewer city cards down. It's more competition over routes. It makes it harder to get where you want to go. This is one of those rare games where it's better with more people, in my opinion. Because, man, when that big long line of city cards gets down at the end of the game, I'm just like, ah, oh, forget it. I, I, and everybody looks like that. It's just so hard to keep track of it at that point, right? Yeah. Right. One other con that I wanted to mention, and this one is the big one for me. This one just so upsets me about this game. I just can't get over it. This game incentivizes you to try to get as many unique colored railroads into and out of cities that you own as possible. And that can be fun, right? It's fun to try to make it work where you're like, let's say I've got Denver and I'm like, yeah, I got another color into Denver, you know, and I worked really hard to make that happen. I had to spend time and actions and I tried to get as many points out of Denver as I could. And then the person to my left draws a city card and they draw freaking Denver. Ah, yeah. That pisses me off. (laughs) Why? Why do they do that? Yeah, like, so there are a good number of cities, almost all of them, Uh actually, except for the lower valued ones, where there are two of each city. Yeah. So I did all that work to try to make that city maximally valuable for me. And then Joe Schmo sitting next to me here just drew it out of luck and got all the points that I worked for. Right. Yep. I hate that. <laughs> really? I'm telling you. Mm. I, yeah. Mm, yeah. Do you yeah, feel it, like you would almost modify your copy of the game like just no, to drop that element out of it? if we did, it wouldn't be balanced at that point. I think the game would have to be reworked. Okay. But, mm, man. I, I mean, I'd be curious to know what y'all think about that, but that bothers me a lot. Yeah, at least in other shared ownership games, 18xx you know, being a big example of that, you can have someone else do a lot of work with a particular company or whatnot, but if you want to partake in that, you have to be playing smart as well, right? Sure. Because it involves stocks and getting involved right. and purchasing those at the right time when they're available. Sure. And there are a lot of other aspects that go into getting in on the good things that someone else has done. Right. Whereas this is just a random card draw. Just look at the freaking draw. Yeah. yeah. And. Th- if I had to say anything about Ticket to Ride, that's one of the things that bothers me about Ticket to Ride, too. Granted, that's your own trains. Done. You went through the effort of putting down those trains, but at the end of the game, I tend to just start drawing route cards, right? Because there's a good chance you're going to draw a route card you already completed, and you're just scoring points Or it's almost those, done. Right? Yeah. Um, and that can make or break that game at the end. For Which, sure. for a light game like that, that's quick and lighthearted. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, for a game like this that takes two and a half hours to play sometimes that yeah. can be deflating yep for sure does it i'm um, not entirely convinced that santa fe rails like wants you to necessarily be deeply deeply invested in a small quantity of city cards 
mainly because we've seen multiple times being really diversified is extremely valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, so in other words, you can spend your efforts, you know, and your, and the cards you play on your turn, either collecting money on the board and driving the tracks around, or you can win just by having so many city cards Mm -hmm. that you're just scoring off of everybody else's work. Yeah, that's true. You know? So I don't know. I feel like you can emphasize one aspect of the game or the other and play to that effort. Sure. So we want to move on to final thoughts? Let's do it. So I'll go first. I thought Santa Fe Rails was delightfully different from Ticket to Ride. (laughs) To me, I found steering the paths of the railroad lines rather than owning one particular line to be a really interesting mechanic. This game is ultimately about allocating shared resources to your advantage. I don't think I've ever played another game like it. If I find that I enjoy playing a game, even if I lose pretty badly, that's a sign of a good game for Yeah, me. I'd agree. So, I give Santa Fe Rails a four. Okay. Yeah, I had pretty similar feelings to you, Cameron. I think this game hits a sweet spot in between something super light and fluffy like Ticket to Ride. <laughs> and heavier train games and despite my misgivings about it and some of the criticisms that we've already mentioned every time i've played it i've enjoyed Mm -hmm. the decisions and the tension and so i gave this game a four as well i think it's a solid game i think there are some questionable aspects to it for sure but for its length and the way that it slots in between longer games like 18xx and shorter games like Ticket to Ride, yep. I think it finds a good sweet spot there in the center. I haven't found a train game that does the route building shared ownership quite like this one. So, yeah, for that I gave it a four. That's interesting. I thought you were going to rate it lower than that based on our plays together. I considered it. You always but. seemed disgruntled about something in this <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but... I'm surprised. I really am. If you feel disgruntled about a game and you can't wait until you can try it again, that's kind of what it went back to for me. It's like every time I've played it, I'm like, I want to try it again and I want to try to figure out what I'm doing wrong. Same way. Because I think there's a good game there. I just think I haven't figured it out yet. Right. And that's if you if you leave a game and your thought is the problem is me, it's probably a good game. Yeah, it's fascinating that way. Like I said, I played this one seven times in anticipation for this review, and I still wasn't sure if I was ready. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just yeah. kept discovering things about it. I was like, hmm, maybe I'm just not doing this right. It's interesting in that way. This was a roller coaster ride for me, this game. Okay. So I went from a five initially to a four, down to a three. And now I'm back up to a four again. Okay. okay? So I think I'm at a four. Maybe could go to a five in the future. Who knows, right? Once I start to understand it more. The first two-thirds of this game is excellent. Mm. So good. The route building, trying to hook into your cities, trying to decide to play a city or a movement card is so fun. The first two-thirds of this game is a five. Mm. It starts to break down for me a little bit in the middle third. I hate it when somebody draws my city card. <laughs> pisses me off. And it does get a little unwieldy at the end when people are just frantically playing city cards down. And it just is this huge mm-hmm. tableau of city cards. If that could somehow be fixed, this would be a five. Mm. So it's a good game with warts, is the way I think of it. Okay, 
I could see this game getting a second edition, getting reworked, and some of these things get ironed out, and this game being released and being successful. Capstone has a, a series that Iron Rail series, Irish Gauge, and Ride the Rails. This, in an updated fashion, I could see this fitting into that line really well, hmm. but For not sure. as it is now. Okay. I think it just has a couple of issues, but I still think it's good. Let me sure. give it a four. I will also say that I'm disappointed that they named a game Santa Fe Rails, and Santa Fe is not even on it's the map. It's not on the map. <laughs> That's right. Maybe there's a historical reason for that that I'm Maybe. just unaware of. But <laughs> it's just sound, Santa Fe Rails sounds so much better than Albuquerque Rails if you're going with New Mexico. <laughs> right. Well, that's our thoughts on Santa Fe Rails. Chris, mm-hmm. where can we find it? Yep. So, old game, out of print. As usual. However, there are 18 copies on BGG at very reasonable prices. So if you want to give it a shot, you can get it there on the marketplace. No problem. Try it out. If you like train games, you should try this one. I think yeah. it's intriguing. I'm looking forward to playing it again. Yeah, I would play it again. It's cool. Let's do it now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, hurry up. Let's finish let's the finish podcast this. so we can play Santa Fe Real. All right. So that's our take on some interesting lesser-known train games. Yeah. As always, if any of these games sound like they're for you, we would encourage you to check them out. We encourage you guys to engage with us online. Let us know your thoughts. If you agree or disagree, Yeah, please we want to hear from you. Remember that a good review on your podcast platform of choice can really go a long way towards helping us get the word out on our podcast and on all of these hidden gem games, which is what we're all about. So for now, I'm your host, Jason. I'm Cameron. This is Chris. Thanks for listening. This episode of Hidden Gems, number five, was recorded in Raleigh, North Carolina on March 21, 2021. Join us in two weeks when Chris and Jason will be diving into some interesting two-player Hidden Gems while Cameron is away on his honeymoon vacation. Hidden Gems is produced and edited by Chris Alley, Cameron Lockie, and Jason Yonchliff. Our show's logo was illustrated by designer and artist Caitlin Nieto. Check out her work on Instagram at It's Caitlin Nieto. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to join the discussion on our many social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook at Hidden Gems Board Game Podcast, Instagram at hiddengems.podcast, and Twitter at Hidden Gems Board. Disagree with one of our reviews? Have something you want to say about one of the games we discussed today? You can also make your voice heard on our Board Game Geek Guild at BoardGameGeek.com. Once again, thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems, and until next time, fellow gem seekers, enjoy your games and enjoy your search. The fact that there's uh, that there is a little luck involved when taking a random city card doesn't bother me because it still might not be worth anything. I don't even know what that sentence meant. <laughs> <laughs> Get your thoughts together. Editing. I'm actually trying to... I'm I'm just going to skip that part. Mm